I'm so happy. Bye, George. Bye, George. Have a good day. Love you. Wait, George doesn't hang around. No. But how do we tell George when we didn't do good and we need him? He'll to tell us. He listens. <laughs> oh, okay. He listens to every episode. Okay. Yeah. Which imagine that. And we also talk into these mics and we just say George cut. George cut. Or like, hold on, George. Let me yeah. think about this. And we'll like scroll and find something. Okay, got yeah. it. So we talk to George. So yeah, he's here, but he's not here. Right. He's like God. He's with us exactly <laughs> like God. Yeah. My parents listen to the pod now. The one time I finally told them, hey, just so you know, on this episode, like I talk about some stuff that you guys don't know about. Like you might not want to. It might make you uncomfortable. And then they, they, and then they listen yeah, for they the listen. first time. Mm-hmm. That's normally how it works. So, you, Well, you piqued their interest. But they liked it. So that's good. It all worked out. I'm so happy we have Blake here with us today. You guys. I'm excited. I am so excited Blake is here. It's been on the list for well, two year, or a year now expectations let's go ahead and bring those back down though right I think that that's i mean we're just here for a silly goofy time <laughs> we are yeah. although i can honestly say that blake is probably the person in my life that i know personally that i learn from the most consistently i appreciate that you feel the same way i don't doubt Thanks. that at all i learn from blake i get a nugget at least once a week <laughs> yeah you know sometimes you don't even know it's coming I know. <laughs> it's always unexpected. Yeah. Although sometimes I come seeking it. He has like a secret arsenal of just things he has vast knowledge on that you wouldn't expect because you're not boastful about it mm-hmm. or about anything that you like know very well in depth. So I think it it's pleasant when it comes from you because it's always out of a place of like genuine interest yeah. and like support. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the things because it's not like rote memory. I feel like when you talk about things, you know, very well, you're not just like spewing off facts that you read one day. You really take the time to get to know a topic very intimately and understand it and be able to explain it. Have you always been like that? To an extent. Yeah. I think, um, you know, if if there's something I'm working on or something I want to improve at, I kind of, anytime learning anything, I kind of only know one way to learn it, which is just fully dive in. It's hard for me to do multiple things at once, but then once I feel like I do understand something, I love seeing like how does that correlate. And we'll probably get into it, I'm sure, um, today, but like the correlation between like fitness and management and running and marriage and and all of those things. Like there's so many um, principles and things that they you learn them in one sector of your life, and you really learn how to practice them. And then they show up in others. So yeah. Also, a lot of those lessons are through like hard struggle and getting them wrong. I think um, I think that's a big part of it too. Like a lot of my early twenties, where it it wasn't always fun, it wasn't always easy. But I think the lessons that came out of that really have kind of like stayed, you know, kind of through the years. Exactly. So jumping back, can you tell us a bit about your relationship with fitness and how it's impacted your general outlook on life? kind of like how you were just starting yeah. to get into yeah like fitness is, is going to be the foundation that you really have an opportunity to practice pretty much anything that life's gonna throw at you so when i think of fitness it's the ability to practice discipline the ability to show up for yourself um the ability to embrace monotony which is like this is really a big one i see in running is a lot of getting better at fitness is doing the same types of things day in and day out and then being patient with the results. And when we think about 
whether business or a friendship or marriage, like a lot of those things that it takes to really have something of substance, like you have to be okay with monotony and you have to be okay, not just getting through that, but also being able to find joy in that. I think sometimes when we do have those boring moments or those monotonous moments, we get through them just because we want to get to the other side. But when you actually learn how to like take a step back and enjoy that process, it just kind of carries over into everything else. 100%. And that's true in like all fields of fitness too. It's like not every morning it's going to be like some new super tough workout or regimen that you're like very excited for it have never done before a lot of it's just like putting in the hours and the time to see results that you might be searching for or looking for yeah so I think yeah I, I've actually never thought of it like that of embracing the monotony but I love that that reframe yeah. is really cool yeah it's definitely I, I think even outside of that like fitness gives you the ability to like do something for yourself like when I think of how I approach things on a daily basis. Like I know, like if Jacqueline asked me to do something, like I'm going to do it because I have respect for it, right? And like, even if it starts getting tough, like I'm going to finish it and make sure that happens. Like if my wife asked me to do something, I'm going to make sure it happens because I have respect for it. If I have a client that's like, hey, can we change this with this program? Like I'm going to change it. But then one of the things that happens with us, for some reason, we get into these fitness journeys and we say, you know, I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And the moment it starts getting hard, we kind of throw the towel in and we back off on ourselves. And um, to me, like the more I think about that, like that's a lack of self-respect. Like why should I take something that Jacqueline wants me to do more serious than something I've promised to myself? And so I think a lot of that's through the races and through fitness. I've been able to kind of get myself to a point where I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm not saying it's easy, but if I decide like, hey, this is something I want to do, I can pretty much count it as done. Um, and it doesn't mean I go and do everything, but I can look at like, is this something I want to accomplish? What are the means to the end? Like, what will it take for me to get there? And is that worth it for me? And if it is, and I decide that that's something I'm going to do, then, you know, you're able to make it happen. I think fitness is the perfect platform to really perfect that. Yeah. And I think that makes perfect sense too, when it comes to even looking at your career trajectory within fitness, because it's not exactly the easiest industry to create a stable life for yourself, but you've managed to do it multiple times in multiple places. And so I'm curious kind of how that played that connection and commitment played into where you ended up within the fitness industry and also how it continues to inform your management and leadership style. Yeah, I think when we look like from the very beginning, I started off as a trainer when I was I was like 19 years old. Um, I really didn't know that much. I knew enough to get my certification, but um, you know, I still had a lot of life lessons that I needed to learn. I needed to go through, and I, I can remember like very vividly like the first couple of years, like getting a paycheck for like $62 and like having worked the whole entire week and. Um, fitness really gives kind of gives you that standpoint where you put in a lot of work, you learn that the results are not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen that day. It's not going to happen a week from now, but eventually if you keep doing what you told yourself you were going to do, eventually it'll pay off. And I think, you know, for me starting off as a personal trainer, like that's kind of the same thing. Like it's, it's really hard to say, Hey, I'm going to start training clients. And then that first week you have a full book of business. Like it just doesn't work that way. 
And I think along that journey, um, just being able to kind of look back towards some of those principles that like start in fitness and then translate into becoming successful as a trainer first. I think that was like my first big step I needed. And that was a challenge in and of itself. And it's a challenge that took a few years. And then once that happened, it kind of started translating more into, okay, now I'm moving into a personal training management role. And that experience was able to build off of what I learned as a trainer, which was more so of how do you coach and work with different people? And, uh, you know, I think one thing that's a struggle for a lot of people when they get into a management role is they try to coach everybody the same. They say like, okay, if I have someone do X, I'm going to do Y. Or if I have someone do D, I'm going to do E. But a lot of times like people are very fluid and they're very, um, you know, they're going to be different from day to day. And when you're training clients, you really get to learn that. And you get to learn, you know, the way that I approach my client that wants to lose 30 pounds, has never exercised before and has a herniated disc is a lot different than my client that's the 17-year-old baseball player that wants to get to the next level. Both of them had the ability to grow. Both of them had the ability to reach their potential. But for me as a coach, I need to show up a different way for each of them to be successful. And if I only learn one approach, I'm only going to be able to work with one type of person. Um, and so then when that shifts over into the management world where your ability to scale and your ability to grow as a leader, as a manager, is your is like directly correlated to how many different types of people you have the ability to influence and inspire. If there's only one type of employee that's going to be able to work for you, then it's going to be really hard to build something significant. But if you can learn how to like, if I have someone that's more creative, if I have someone that's more um, task driven or someone that's more competitive and I can figure out how do I show up as a manager, or as a coach or as a leader uh, to get the best out of that person, then you can really accomplish some pretty cool things. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'm able to see that firsthand with you and how you still manage to be 100% yourself in every interaction that you have, but it's a different tone. It's a different angle. It's a different expectation and a different approach to everybody because you're so willing to remain malleable in order to get the best out of people. And I think that exposure in fitness, because it's so clear, one of my favorite things about fitness and exercise specifically is that you get out what you put in. Like it's a very fair place. Mm -hmm. You can see the results. It's the most fair place. Right. You know exactly how much effort somebody is putting forth by the results that they gain and kind of having that like metacognitive experience of doing it yourself and knowing what your approaches are, but then being forced to teach it to others and realizing like, okay, how do I create a framework here? How do I make this all make sense? And then being able to apply it in a completely different avenue with managing now, not just trainers, but an entire staff is pretty yeah. incredible. And I also, I don't think like management skills can be taught, but like you have a certain passion to understand people and like watch them thrive. Like, and you, you like water those plants. Like you don't just tell someone to do something and then like hands off for six months and check in. Like you, I've seen you both at your previous company and then now at Moxie from the outside in both situations, you like tend to your people. Like whether it's your personal training clients or it's your employees, you have like a genuine care within you to see 
every sort of relationship, whether it's like a managerial role or a leadership position or just as a personal trainer, to see every single one of those situations thrive. And that's not something that anyone can just really be taught. I think it's like innately within you. And that's really special. And that leads me to my next question is in the different roles that you have throughout your life, what do you find the difference to be between management and leadership? Like where do those two roles overlap? Yeah. And then where are they separate to you? That's, I mean, I mean, that's a huge one. And I think that this is, um, when I think of that, I think always manage things, lead people. And that's kind of the parameters that we look at it within whether business or fitness or whatever it is. Like if you're going to have success, accomplishing something that's big it's going to require you to be able to work with other people to get to that point right and so that process of working with other people or overseeing other people the two skill sets that are going to go into that are going to be the management and the leadership and when i think of managing i think that's the ability to facilitate and orchestrate an idea into actions into results the leadership is what gets the oomph to come behind that, that actually gets some people to buy into that process, see that process all the way through and get to the end where there's results. And there's a lot of people that, I would say most people probably skew one way or the other. Um, but if you're gonna be successful, like you have to be able to, to either A, develop that on both fronts or surround yourself with people that are gonna be able to help you cover up those blind spots. I've seen a lot of people where they can take an idea and they can give you a whole blueprint, like step by step by step. And it's so crystal clear that if we can get people to do this, X, Y, Z is going to happen. But they lack the ability to actually make someone want to work with them long enough for it to come to fruition. I've also some, seen some people that are incredible leaders. They have the ability to get people fired up. Everyone wants to be around them. But they lack the vision and so what happens is people will run through a brick wall for them. There's just nothing on the other side of that brick wall. Um, so you've got to be able to kind of have that, that balance between the two. But manage things, lead people. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And especially realizing where your strength is when you enter that role. I yeah. think that's a big part. People rely on their strength so much that they don't leave space or time for themselves to reflect on their weaknesses yeah. and provide themselves with opportunities to grow. So if you have somebody coming into a managerial role for the first time, like let's say they at no point have led people, yeah. what key principles do you think they should hold on to really strongly at the beginning as they start to figure out that balance between management and leadership? Yeah. I, number one is it's, it's no longer about you. And I think that that's, that's a really big principle that if you can get that through your head early, you're going to find a lot more success. And typically when someone gets put into a leadership position, it's because they found success in a role where they didn't have to lead other people. And so now the idea is we put them in a leadership position and they just need to teach everyone else how to do what they did. So their success moving forward or their competency or the way they're going to essentially be measured at their job is now what the results of other people are. And sometimes when someone gets into that leadership role, they still, they still have this idea that it's about them and it's about how much they can do or how much output they can create 
and they're kind of looking for whether recognition or um, praise. And I think once you actually take a step back and you say, like, okay, within this new role, literally like the name like Blake, like it doesn't matter anymore. Like it doesn't matter if I was trying to make it to where like, hey, the most talented person or the most recognized person at Moxie is going to be Blake. We wouldn't have accomplished very much because we've been able to bring in people that are a lot more talented than me and people that are able to do a lot of things that there's no way I could ever do them. Um, and so when you start approaching each day where it's like the success of our goal or our mission is going to be how well my employees are able to do their job. And so when I set up my day, my day needs to be focused around, do they know what they need to do to do their job? Are they engaged with working here? Do they feel supported? And that's really what the approach needs to be. And then when you go from there, you can kind of go into the X's and O's. So most people, when they first go into a management role, they're pretty good at the management side. They struggle on the leadership side because the management side is much more of tactics, which they've demonstrated the ability to do, which is how they ended up where they are. I would say someone that's a little bit more seasoned in the position starts to become more skewed towards the leadership side. But sometimes they get so far removed from the day-to-day tasks that now the management side is something that they've got to kind of put a little bit more effort into. So there's always kind of this ebb and flow depending on what type of task it is. Um, But yeah, starting off the number one thing is is just going to be it's not about you anymore. Yeah, I think that's a really hard pill to swallow for people, especially because exactly what you're saying, it tends to be that the people that get promoted into those type of leadership positions were the highest performers in the position they were in before. And so they're very used to getting that kind of praise. They're very used to having a very clear understanding of what a job well done looks like. And it all becomes a lot more muddied when you're in a management position. So it's really hard to completely shift, especially, I mean, if you're in a position that's extremely tactical, if it's based on numbers or quotas or hitting certain goals, and then now you're in management and you're like, hold on a second, I could do everything right and we still might not make it. We still, it still might not be the best job I could have done. And so it, it gets a little bit gray and I think you have to kind of take a step back and reevaluate what you believe a job well done is and kind of create a more value-based system in assessing your job and your performance. And like you said before, when you were speaking on it, the people that you're surrounded by are such a huge piece of that equation and something that you've both done really well and been clearly very successful with at Moxie has been finding the people to fill in the spaces that you see fit for certain roles within the studio. So when you're hiring someone, what does that process look like? What are the most important things that you're looking for in hiring someone before you make a decision? Yeah, I mean, if you're going to, it's hard to win games without a talented team, right? You have to have talent on the roster if you want to accomplish something. Uh, I would say for most for most businesses, if they simply just upskilled their staff, they would probably see a tangible result towards the success they have rolling out their product or even towards their bottom line. Now, with that being said, like, what are the things that I personally look for when someone comes in? The number one is that they have passion for the product. I think, uh, you know, if I'm, and this is kind of specific towards the fitness industry, and like I've grown up in the fitness industry. It's really the only industry that 
I really have been in or that I really know. But the one thing I've seen is I've seen a lot of talented people that maybe they're a great salesperson or they are um, very detail oriented, but they don't have that passion for fitness. There's like a cap on what that person's going to be able to do. Versus if you give me someone, maybe they don't have a whole lot of skills yet, but they're just really passionate about fitness. They're really passionate about what we're trying to do as an organization and what our mission is. Then I can take that person as long as their character's there and we can accomplish some things that are pretty cool. We can leverage some skills that they have. Um, but what's going to happen is if they have that product, one, it's going to spread to your customers. And then two, their willingness to continue to learn and continue to grow is going to be a lot higher because they care. So one of the questions I ask in every interview I do is, what does fitness mean to you? And I'm not necessarily, I'm not looking for professional marathon runners. I'm not looking for professional bodybuilders. It doesn't mean that. But you have to have some type of connection to the product that we offer our community. Because I need to know that when you're in that position, that that's going to be what you use to make decisions. Meaning like, we'll try to train you the best we can, but there's going to be things that happen on a daily basis that I need to know that like the root or your North star that you're approaching everything with is how do I help this person continue their fitness journey? Whether it's like they're running behind for a class or they call and they're having trouble with the app, like whatever it is, that's kind of got to be that core tenant. And then the other thing I would say is as good as your hiring is, if your culture isn't there to support a newly onboarded employee, it doesn't matter. You could hire the most talented people in the world. If they're getting the cold shoulder on days one, two, three, they're probably not going to stay with you and they're probably not going to become the employee that you want to have. So when you do make mistakes hiring, and I've definitely made my fair share, is you've got to figure out like, hey, if this person's not up to speed, how do we get them up to speed? How do we realign? Like, is this a good fit on both sides? And you've got to go through that process and you got to go through that process quickly. Because what can happen, and I've had this happen to my teams before, where you have one person that probably shouldn't be there and they hang around a little too long. And you go from having one problem employee to now having like a whole team that's disgruntled. And you can't necessarily expect to have a disgruntled team and then replace them one at a time. Like you've got to make sure that that culture is intact and that new person coming in is going to have that chance to succeed. Yeah, I think that's been a huge part of our success at Moxie and one of the things that I feel like I have tried so hard to implement after watching you do it is that you don't shy away from tough conversations, especially when you know the impact on the culture, if it's going to impact the culture. And so if you have a situation like that where there is an employee that maybe shouldn't be there for whatever reason, whether it's an attitude, a problem. Sometimes it's our fault. Like sometimes those things are, it's not always them, you know? Right. Yeah. And I think you do such a great job of taking those conversations head on and not hesitating to handle a situation, even if it's going to be difficult or uncomfortable. And the way that you're able to navigate difficult conversations, whether it's with an employee that is causing problems or on the other end of it, like you said, if you're hiring passionate people, but maybe the skill set isn't there yet, you're still having to have a tough conversation with them at some point or another. And you're able to navigate those really well, even though they can feel personal, they're typically sensitive. So can you talk to us a little bit about how you approach those conversations and kind of what your thought process is as you go through them? Yeah, I think that that's just, it's a hard one, like when you first get started. And I think like one thing I want to say, if you're you're a new manager out there and you're thinking like, I don't 
know if I'll ever be able to be successful as a leader because I'm not comfortable having these conversations. Like I want you to know that nobody's super comfortable having these conversations. They're not, they're not fun, but that's where you've got to realize, like, if you're going to be in a leadership role, your passion and your why has to be that you want the best for other people. And so when I approach those conversations and sometimes those conversations are like punitive by nature, right? Like they might involve like losing a responsibility. They might involve losing their employment. Like, like those things happen. Um, but I always try to approach them with how does this, like, how does this impact that employee? Like, I, I don't want to lead from the fact of like, Hey, Jack, like you were late for work today. What that now did to me is now we're having to sit here and have this conversation and your, your coworkers were upset with you. For me, it's really understanding like, what is it that Jacqueline wants to accomplish? Jacqueline wants to impact a lot of people. And so when I have this conversation, it's saying like, you know, Jacqueline, one of the things that we talked about when you first started here was that you want to make as big of an impact on as many people as you can. For you to be able to do that, we've got to make sure that we're here on time. So my role in that is to hold you accountable. And so I think when you start approaching these things that way of like, how is this going to impact what that person wants? You can actually start to move the needle because it's not helpful to have conversations, tough conversations, just for the sake of having tough conversations. That doesn't make you a good manager. It doesn't change your team. It doesn't change the results. But when you start having those tough conversations with the idea of I'm going to move the I'm going to move the needle on where this employee is currently at for them to be able to accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And then you don't try to make that full circle and say, and this will also help me. Like you just have to leave that part out of it. And you have to trust that if the people that work for you are successful and they're doing the right thing, your business is going to be just fine. Um, And so you have to be careful to kind of like leave some of that verbiage out of it. And I haven't always done that perfectly well, but I think that that's probably the biggest thing I've learned. Like, and not, I wouldn't say it makes those conversations easier. I would say it makes those conversations more effective. You've really honed in on like the art of delivering tough messages gracefully. And I've like heard like from secondhand and even like just from you, like telling me that things are getting easier in that department. But another really tough area I think a lot of managers or leaders struggle with is when it's time to finally like delegate tasks to others. So when you're letting go. Blake is so good at delegating. Gotta love delegating. (laughs) It's the craziest thing ever. It's so cool. I could never. It's really cool. And you do it very gracefully, like I said. So when you're deciding to let go of tasks or projects that you've held close or you feel like you're very good at, how do you know it's time to delegate those to someone else? And also, how do you know which tasks are worth handing over to someone and which ones you'll be able to handle the best? Yeah, I think when it comes to when it comes to like why you delegate something, meaning like what's worth delegating, what's worth like you keeping. A lot of it, you have to look at, you know, with your schedule, with your bandwidth, with, um, you know, is this the best use of your time? And it doesn't mean, um, it doesn't mean that this isn't a good use of my time, so I'm just going to pawn it off on somebody else. 
there's a lot of things where it's like, hey, this is something that I've taken this to about as far as I'm going to be able to take it. Then passing that off to somebody else kind of makes sense. And I think a lot of managers, the reason they struggle with delegating is they really don't understand what delegating is. And what I mean by that is taking a task that you typically do and then writing the checklist of steps A through Z on how to do that and then giving that to someone and telling them to do it, that's not delegating. That's bossing somebody around versus what delegation should look like is if I'm delegating something to you, I'm coming to you and saying, hey, Kate, this is a responsibility that I've had for the last six months. Here's what I've done to try to work on it. Here's some of the things I've struggled with. I really think that this is something that you could take and run with and make it your own. And you're going to really be able to find a lot of success with that. So what I want to do over the next week, two weeks, three weeks is make sure that you have everything you need to be able to have the foundation to take this to that next level. And that's delegation, right? I'm not just delegating the work. I'm also delegating the responsibility, the creativity, the ownership of it to you. And then my job at this point is just to support. And you probably remember what I was saying earlier, but like it's no longer about you. And what happens a lot of times is we struggle delegating something. Some managers struggle delegating something because they're afraid their employee is going to do it better than them. And I think that a lot of people might be surprised if, if they just like gave their employees the chance, like they might surprise you. And I think I've really been able to notice that. And I'll, I'll kind of call out like Dion and Rose are a perfect example of that, where the more I try to, if I give them something, the more I keep my hands in it, the worse it is versus when I just kind of approach that from the opportunity of like letting them use their experience and their ability with the team and we end up in a better spot. And so I think that that's like the struggle with delegating is like, do we all understand what delegating is and is it getting delivered to that employee in a way that that employee is going to be excited about it and in a way that you now get to move on from it? Yeah, I think that's such a huge pillar of management that a lot of people overlook is you were talking about kind of the two components being management and leadership, but especially, and I see this in how you work, but also listening to you talk today is that there is that third component of support. Like you're not just a manager. You're not just making sure people are on task and getting things things done you're not just a leader who's trying to inspire people and give them a vision for the future you're also a support system for this entire team and you're somebody that they can rely on and fall back on it's not just the other way around Um, and I know that there are a lot of people in your life that have been big support systems and for those of you that don't know Blake's wife Michelle she's she's an angel I mean come on no it's crazy they don't make them better than Michelle no or Blake (laughs) or Blake (laughs) Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have accomplished anything I've had without her. Okay, you said the sweetest thing about Michelle in your question, your pre-episode questionnaire, and I'm just going to have to read it. Oh, gosh. He said that Michelle... Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> gives you so much unwavering support that it allows you to dream big without worrying about failing. The sweetest. Yeah. And I think we can all see that from an outsider's perspective. And obviously your guys' relationship, um, I just feel like, is a North Star for a lot of people out there. It's Everybody true. wishes they could be Blake and Michelle. <laughs> no, it's true. 
<laughs> However, I know that you also have a lot of other support systems in your yeah. life. So can you tell us a little bit? I mean, we touched on the fact that the fitness industry is a difficult one to have a long term career in. Generally speaking, it can be a little bit unpredictable, especially like considering the events of the last few years. The fitness industry was hit really, really yeah. hard. Um, and you were in a very stable position when that happened. Yeah. Despite everything going on with 24, you were in a management role that didn't look like it was going anywhere. And you still took a very big risk of leaving that job and taking on entrepreneurship and a business partnership with a couple of strangers. Yeah. Um, and I know Michelle played a really big part in that. But what other things did you keep in mind when you were making that decision and really what allowed you to make that big risk? Yeah, I think a lot of times that that next step, it, it just comes down to confidence. And I kind of spoke earlier about how with fitness, like if I recognize something like, hey, this is um, this is something I want to do. What are the means to the end? And am I willing to actually do that? And I think that that's kind of the same process I followed with this opportunity of, of going to Moxie was like, and I'll be honest with you, I don't necessarily know if I saw it being as successful as it's been this quick. Um, but just looking at that and knowing that, hey, I I fully believe that we I'll be able to take the skills that I have. And obviously at that time, Robert and I had a close relationship. Um, and then knowing what I knew about you and Matt and kind of just knowing everyone that was coming into it, like I really... I believed it was going to be successful, but then I also, on the other side of that, I wasn't really afraid of if it wasn't. And um, that doesn't mean I wanted it to be a failure, but that wasn't necessarily weighing on my mind. It wasn't keeping me up at night uh, because I knew that those things that are important to me, like when I look at, you know, really the, the things that are most important to me are going to be like, the relationship I have with Michelle, the relationship I have with my friends, my family, like none of those are going to change based off the outcome of this. Like I can go ahead and tell you right now, if Moxie already had a hundred locations versus if Moxie had to close its doors, I don't think Michelle would think any different of me for better or worse. Um, and so I think that that just kind of gives me that ability to just kind of stay present and not make decisions based off of what somebody else's perception might be, but to really think like, I really believed myself that it was going to be successful. And I know I believe that. And if there were any hesitations I would have had, it would have been revolved around what someone else's opinion might have been. And I feel like through fitness, through the friendships I've had, through Michelle, like I've been able to cultivate kind of a, a little bit of a mindset where it's not as much about what other people think. Because that's a pretty exhausting way to kind of live your life. I mean, the ability to separate your own goals from what other people will think of those yeah. goals is really like that is a skill in itself. Yeah. And it's something people spend their whole lives working yeah. on, too. So to be able to make that leap from such a secure job in such an unstable time in all of our lives is a big feat yeah. for everyone involved. Like it should not be overlooked or. Yeah underplayed like it was it's fine though because like i can honestly say like to me it was a no-brainer it's <laughs> really? crazy i thought you were on the fence no boob like during but the time Rob Robert, was. <laughs> Robert, that was robert yeah no i wasn't um you know we always want to be prudent like i right like there's responsibilities that we have but um i didn't stress really over 
making that that decision. I'm not gonna say it was easy. Like I had a lot of friends at my previous organization and um things were like looking somewhat up. I mean, I think the the pandemic brought the whole fitness industry to its knees, no matter what position you were in. Right. right. Um but I was faring better than most and I think uh there was a little bit of that, but for the most part like I was I was ready to go. Yeah. And I think a lot of that goes back to what you were talking about earlier, not just with fitness, but with life in general. You've been so committed for 12 plus years now to developing a skill set that is so valuable that you knew, regardless of what people thought of you and regardless of what the outcome was, that you would be okay because you have something that is invaluable, which is this unwavering commitment to developing yourself. And when you're somebody like that, then you're always going to have options. Right. It doesn't mean it's going to be a fun process. You know, have, For sure. You know, if that is the route that it would have gone. Yeah. But being able to back yourself in that way yeah. is pretty powerful. And, I mean, as you guys see every day because of your career and just a lot of our life revolves around the fitness industry, there are a lot of people that are extremely passionate about fitness and would love to make it their full-time job and their career. But it's obviously, like Jack said before, it's a really unpredictable and unstable path because you don't always have like an end goal of like, we're opening a moxie, you know? Yeah. So what would you recommend to those people that are just beginning their path in the fitness industry who might not have access to like, as many channels as others. Yeah, I'd, I'd say really there's two big principles that if you can get these two down, you'll be successful. It might not be in a week, it might not be in a month, it might not be in a year, but eventually you'll find success. And I would say one of those is that you own your development. And when you go into this space, you've got to realize like there's a lot of, it, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of people that want to work in this space. And there's a lot of people that are constantly going to be trying to learn. Um, when you first start, it, it takes a while to like, not just the application of, you know, understanding program design is one thing, but then now it's like getting a client to adhere to a program is another thing. And then it's once they finish that program, how do you get them to stay committed to do something else? Like there's a lot that goes to it and you've got to spend quite a bit of time i would say a new trainer their first year to two years should spend at least an hour a day just trying to improve at training or trying to understand the business side of it and i would say about 50 50 split like maybe three hours a week go towards learning how to improve as a trainer two hours a week go to learning how to leverage and maximize it from a business or revenue standpoint and then the other one I would say is just keeping that passion for fitness. That's something I see a lot. I think everyone that becomes a trainer or goes into the fitness industry or starts teaching classes, they have a passion for fitness. It's why they get started. But then as it starts to get busier and as you get more responsibilities and as you have like all these things stack up, it's easy to start putting that on the back burner. And from what I've seen, that essentially is just it's always like the precursor and i can usually if i see that either that person is going to get their fitness back on track or they're not going to stay in the industry too much longer um you've got to be able to keep your fitness journey and that personal connection that you have to it as the foundation because that's kind of the um 
that's kind of like the like magnetic thing that people feel when they're around you that they want a part of, right? When they say like, hey, I this is something I want to do, but it's been hard every time I've done it, but I see that you're able to do it and you're able to find joy in it. Like that's something that people want. And so you've got to keep that fire lit the whole time. That's something that's so inspiring about you or like maybe one of the most inspiring things about you is you have been in this industry since you were 19 and yet you're still discovering and peeling back different layers of your fitness. And it is like just watching it. I've known you for about five years now. You have morphed into a completely different person, at least fitness wise. (laughs) And it is so inspiring because you're surrounded by it every single day. Some people might think like, oh, it must get mundane at some point, right? Like you're picking up weights and putting them down. You're running the same few miles. It's like, how does he keep it up and how does he keep progressing? And it's, it is inspiring. And I think it would be inspiring enough to have someone completely change their life as well. Yeah. It's hard to imagine. It's not. I I think that that kind of ties into even like as a trainer, it's the same lesson as that management lesson. Like it's no longer about you and like accepting that when you become a fitness professional, your impact is no longer how fit you get or what you accomplish. It's what can you inspire somebody else to go out there and do? Exactly. Yeah. And I think you do such a great job of, of that. And I, we've even seen it. I feel like it's the most powerful to me is run club. And maybe it's because <laughs> I love those guys. <laughs> maybe it's because I hate running so much. Yeah. It's astounding to me. Like it makes all the sense <laughs> in the world to me that our classes are filled to the brim. Cause I believe that they're so fun. Like, I love yeah. them. And I love them so much. I'm like, of course everybody loves to take classes. Obviously they're the best. But when I see people committing to half marathons and now mm-hmm. marathons yeah. because of the relationships that you've built and that group of people, I'm like, this is a this guy could what's this phrase sell dirt to a what is it oh it's something like that so uh ice to an eskimo there you go eskimo Yeah. yeah it like blows my mind it really is crazy but it's also such a crucial part of being in the fitness industry in general or really like any passion driven industry period is to be able to inspire others to not only get involved in something, but to sustain it. And I think kind of on a similar note to what Kate was talking about in terms of people wanting to get into the fitness space for a career, on a more personal level level rather than professional, a lot of people want to establish a consistent training regimen. They want to commit to fitness. They want to improve their health or change their physique or whatever it is. But they just have trouble committing. So in your experience, what are some of the biggest barriers to doing that and how do you solve for them? There's a few, right? And and I think, you know, each client, there, there's typically different things. I would say one of them is going to be making sure that their, their expectations from the beginning are aligned with where they should be. Meaning if you've never worked out before, and then your first step is you're planning to run four days a week, lift weights five days a week, and then do sauna and cold plunge three days a week and, you know, never eat a gram of sugar. Like, you're probably not going to succeed. And I'm just being honest. But when we look at what is it going to take when we get you started in your fitness journey, like, what's it going to take for you to start getting better every day? And is it that, like, hey, if we haven't worked out before, would working out three days a week probably help us improve week over week? Like, 100%. So let's start there. And then from there, I think making sure that those workouts are designed in a way 
where the client is going to improve. And so I would say for most people, if you've never done this before, or if you've never gotten into it, I highly recommend either joining a gym that's going to have some type of classes or direction or working with a coach or working with a trainer, just finding some sort of direction to make sure you're not spinning your wheels. Chances are like if you do get started and you're stubborn enough and you spin your wheels and you keep researching, you keep looking like you'll probably be able to figure it out. But for the average person, if this isn't something that you've done, like that investment that you make into yourself, it, it'll pay you back tenfold. So I'd say kind of starting there. And then ultimately, like you got to kind of be able to call a spade a spade. Like some people are lazy. And I think like, I think some people need to be called out for it. And like, you got to be honest with yourself and understand like, if that's showing up in your fitness journey, it's kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. Like, these are the same people that like they work. I know a lot of people that, like they work 70 hours a week, but yet they struggle to work out once. And it's like, it goes back to that same thing of like, you need to have as much respect for yourself as you do for everybody else in your life. Cause at the end of the day, like you're, if you don't have that where you can count on yourself and that, you know, that you're going to deliver for yourself, it's just a matter of time until that starts showing up other places. So I think, that's a big part of it too. Yeah. I think a lot of people believe that they have a discipline issue when in reality they have a personal integrity issue. Yeah. And it comes back to exactly what you're saying. It's not about being so regimented that you wake up at the same exact time and check <laughs> every single box. No. Just it's, show up for yourself. Right. It's making a promise to yourself and value, valuing yourself and yeah. your time highly enough that yeah. you choose to make the right choices for your health and your yeah. future. And and if you do get on track, cause you probably, like, it happens. It's like, don't throw in the towel, like just try to get back on track. And, mm -hmm. and sometimes it's like someone will be going and then you can see there's just like the smallest hiccup and then they kind of lose that momentum and they fall off. Like I, I, I think a lot of people who kind of have those like comeback stories where they, you know, you know, my trajectory in fitness or my trajectory in my career hasn't been linear. Like there's been a lot of moments where I took major steps backwards and had to kind of get back up on my feet. And so I think that's something a lot of people need to hear too. Like maybe you were consistent at one point in time and now the idea of getting back to it is so intimidating that you don't want to take that step. Like I would challenge you, like throw yourself back in the game. Like you'll get back. Um, whether or not you get back to where you were, it doesn't really matter. Like you can still get to the best version of yourself right now. So a lot of people think that once you reach a certain fitness or skill level, it's yeah. all easy from there. It's uphill. Yeah. <laughs> Downhill. Uh, uphill's, uphill's <laughs> <Sorry>. pretty hard. <laughs> Depends. On marathons, don't, isn't downhill pretty hard? Uh, it's not as hard as uphill. <laughs> I think you mean uphill like, like it's, all, all, it's all in the up and up. That's maybe what I meant. We're yeah. all, it's like, all, it's all downhill it's from all here. Good it's from like here. It's yeah, chill, it's, it's easy. easy. Yeah. I meant, yeah, it's all on the upward trajectory. Yeah. <laughs> but you've recently had a couple setbacks, and yeah. from what we've seen, those have only made your commitment stronger to your goals. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about your recent foot injury and qualifying for Boston? Yeah. And how you shape your perspective on setbacks? Yeah, I think... Um, you know, qualifying for Boston is something that I've been trying to do now for like five years. It's like the never ending journey, it seems like. And, uh, you know, last year I ran a three hour and two minute marathon, like on the dot. So I missed qualifying so by crazy. two minutes. And I remember like at the end of that race, just thinking to myself, like, I can't believe I have to go through all of it. And it's really, it's the training. It's just such a commitment. Like I've got to go through all of that again. And so I finished that. Um, and 
just being stubborn, like coming off of that, I was, I knew I needed to take time off before I could qualify again, but I was really afraid of losing the fitness that I built during that marathon training cycle that I didn't really give myself a chance to ever recover. Like I was, I wasn't like completely negligent. Like I didn't go out and try to run 20 miles the next week, but it was like, I was trying to push my body and I was just trying to hang on to as much fitness as I could. Um, and so in doing that, I ended up kind of getting a little bit of an overuse type issue on my foot, whether it's tendonitis, there was a moment where we had a little stress fracture scare. Um, but it's on the up and up. And I think, uh, what happened is that really flared up the first week of this training cycle. So now I'm like roughly nine weeks out from my second Boston qualifying attempt. And, you know, the, this whole training cycle has all been focused around trying to keep that foot injury like at bay and being able to manage that. And it was, it was a tough, it's interesting because it's like, you would think as you get farther along in this, you would understand that more, and it will get easier but like that was hard for me and it was legitimately hard like going on a run and saying like is this run helping me get to where i want to go or is it hurting me and it was probably i've always leaned on the side of like get healthy first but like there's also a deadline for me right now trying to hit that time and so i think that that's what comes back to what i was speaking to before of a big part of fitness just being that like self-assurance and that um there's not a question in my mind about whether or not i'm going to qualify for boston whether it happens in may or not like i don't know like i hope so and i'm going to do everything i fucking can to make it happen but if it doesn't happen in may it's going to happen eventually and um all i can really do now is just make sure i'm taking the steps that are gonna put me in the best possible position to succeed i kind of had like a turning point a few weeks ago where it was like the mindset I had was I need to do every run exactly how I'm supposed to, or I can't run a marathon in under three hours. And I was on a run and it hurt, but I was able to hit my pace. And it, that's when it kind of just hit me. It's like, no, like it would be great to run all of these training runs exactly how I'm supposed to. But at the end of the day, like, even if I can't, like I'm still going to show up that day and try to go under three. Um, and I think that that was kind of like a shift in my head, but there has been a lot more like spending a lot more time recovering, a lot more time um, focusing on what I'm putting into my body, what type of sleep am I getting? Like those were all things I didn't really have to worry about last training cycle because I, I just felt extremely durable. And uh, that starts slipping out of your fingertips, like, you know, start using resources and start, you know, spending a lot of time realizing that, like, hey, there's still a whole nother level to this when it comes to like, keeping my body up to be able to handle the volume of training that I've got to be able to do. Right. And I think that goes back to what you were saying at the beginning with enjoying the monotony of it, because I, you know, we've talked about you're spending 45 minutes to an hour a day yeah. taking care of your foot. Yeah. Like that doesn't even include your regular workouts. Cause you're also training for high rocks with a partner. Yeah. So there's like a lot of <laughs> commitment and responsibility <laughs> yeah. there. You're also training for a marathon. You're also running yeah. a business. You're also teaching other people's classes. You're also, Strength training, training. <laughs> personal training clients. So there's just a lot that goes into it. And I think being comfortable with that, that I'm going to show up to the best of my ability today, but yeah. I'm also whatever happens, happens. Right. right. And yeah. I think that line is so hard to find between what we were talking about before, which is like, I made a commitment to myself. I'm going to follow through. And then the other side of, is this actually serving my yeah. end goal? 
because yeah. sure I could run my 11 miles today at my goal pace. Yeah. But if that's going to set me back with my foot, that's a reasonable justification to take that mm-hmm. run on differently rather than what other some people maybe the lazier people do which is like <laughs> i don't want to work out today i'm not yeah. going to do it or like i'm tired i'm just going to skip it yeah like those are two very different things and leaving room and grace for yourself to do the prior and yeah. not allowing yourself to do the latter i think is really important yeah and especially for you somebody like you're extremely knowledgeable in this space you knew what you needed to do after your last marathon and yeah. you didn't do it hundred percent. And so now you're dealing with the repercussions of that. So then when I think about people who don't have any experience in this space that decide they set the goal of I'm going to run a half or I'm going to run a full marathon and they go in blind. What advice do you have for them both in designing a training program and also prepping for the mindset side of it? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing I see, I see this consistently across the board is the average person doesn't improve at running because they run their easy runs too fast and they run their fast runs too slow. And so what happens is there's kind of a window, right? Where let's say if your goal marathon pace is a, um, well, I'll just use my paces for example. Like my goal marathon pace is- Go off, Blake. <laughs> my goal marathon pace yeah, is- like <laughs> my goal is three hours. <laughs> no, it's it's 650, right? Is the pace that I want to be able to run 26 miles at. But the ma- so but the majority of runs I do six miles I can't the majority of runs I do I'm running at like an eight thirty pace an eight fifteen pace and um that's I don't that's know my if I goal do pace that. <laughs> that's my goal pace on like a ten k and, and so <laughs> and so but what's interesting is there's a lot of people where like that and and it makes sense to me where it's like hey I want to run a marathon and I want to run it maybe they want to run it in or they want to run a half marathon in two hours. And so their idea is like, I need to run a nine minute pace for all of my runs, because if I can't run nine miles today for five miles, how am I going to do it for 13 on race day? And like that, it makes sense to me. Like I understand why someone's mind would go there, but when we really look at the physiology of what's happening is when we're going that fast, we start shutting down the aerobic pathways to actually improve. So it's kind of like, think of building a house, like we put our foundation down. And it's almost like we start building the house before that cement even dries. And so when you look at someone, if they want to improve in running, I would say spend at least four weeks running at a pace that feels easy. And like everyone's always kind of like, well, what, how fast is easy? Like, what's the pace for that? Like, it's easy. Like, it's, um, it should feel about as easy on your last mile as it felt on your first mile. Like, if you find that you're getting extremely tired, then slow down. If you need to walk a little bit, walk. But it's going to be really hard to improve if we don't have some type of aerobic base. And I do think there is a level of like the first handful of weeks of running, like your body's just getting used to it. But for the most part, most people will end up doing those runs too slow. And then when it comes time where like, hey, maybe once a week, we're going to do some speed work, whether intervals or a tempo run, those paces tend to be a little bit too slow to actually make any type of like anaerobic benefit so they they kind of like work out in the middle and that's we kind of see it with strength training too where it's like every workout is like hard enough to make you sweat hard enough to make you tired but i wouldn't necessarily say it's going to make you better and so i think um like those if you can get those two things right like slowing that those paces down 
not increasing your mileage more than 10% per week, like you're, you're going to continue to improve. I don't think I've ever run and thought that was easy. I was going <laughs> to say that, but I didn't want to like completely <laughs> counter what you were saying. But yeah, yeah. every, t- like I walk quickly and it's hard. But that's the, <laughs> and that's, that's the thing. So think about it like this, like if, that means that you're probably going too fast. Right. And so the thing is, is like a marathon or a half marathon is an aerobic endurance event, meaning for you to get better at it, it all comes down to how efficient can you be when you're not going all out. And so when you go on a run and you actually spend some time when we call it like zone two cardio, like 75 ish percent of your max heart rate, you can calculate that number 220 minus your age times 0.75. If you can keep your heart rate like right around there. Slow down and tell people yeah. that again. <laughs> so if we can stay at about 75% of your max heart rate for 40 to 50 minutes, that's where we're going to really get the most bang for our buck in terms of aerobic adaptations, which is going to be the ability to deliver oxygen to the muscles, the ability for those muscles to uptake oxygen. Um, and that's what's going to actually help us improve. And so you can find that number by 220 minus your age times 0.75. Mine is roughly like right around 150. And so if most of my runs are at 150 beats per minute, maybe 140 to 150, um, that's kind of that sweet spot to be able to improve. But if I'm doing all of my runs at 165, then that window or that energy system that sits at 140 to 150 beats per minute is never actually going to be able to improve because I never train it. Mm, that's very interesting. Should start wearing a watch. <laughs> <laughs> but I get it. It's 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 tough. Like it's not running. It it takes a minute. But I think once you start getting it down, and that that's kind of what got me so wrapped up in it. As I remember, my first marathon was a shit show. Like I mm. I was falling apart. <laughs> like I remember mile eighteen, I went into like full body cramps. Oh and I was no. Like, I've got eight more miles. And so I I ended up doing another one and it was just kind of for redemption. And I can tell you this, like as much as I believed this redemption marathon. Yeah. As much as I believed the sky is blue, there was a moment in time where I believed there is no way I could ever run a marathon under three hours. And so over the course of the last five years through like the daily wearing out of the bottom of my running shoes, I've been able to shift from that being my mindset to saying like, not only do I think I can get it, like I know I can get it. And there's not really a doubt in my mind. Now it just comes down to finishing what I started. And when you think of like how much that like shifts your mindset on what you can accomplish, like if I can do that, like like what can't I do? It's just that same thing of like you figure out what it is and are you willing to put in what it takes to get there? And I don't know. So that's as much as yes, running is hard, running is a challenge. I can't tell you that my run is my favorite part of every day because it's not, but that process of it is something that's really special. Yeah. I think it's pretty incredible, not just with running, but just in general in life, that belief is not just half the battle. Like it's the majority of it. If you're a hundred percent confident that something is going to happen, something within your control, like obviously there are things in life that are out of our control, but if you truly believe that it's possible, like, you're already there. I can't even like as long as the actions match it though. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, belief is really powerful 100%. and strong. I so think is manifestation. 
but we won't talk about that today, boys. <laughs> I think I think it's one of those things where Blake it's charges like, his crystals in a full moon. Yeah, I'm not much of a, much of a crystal person. <laughs> um, but I'll say this: like, you can't. You're not going to accomplish anything if you don't like, if you don't believe it can happen, or you don't just throw it out there. Because and why would you put yeah, in the effort if you don't believe 100%. it's going to happen? You're not going to follow through on it, the action. And I wasn't like when I first started running, I wasn't anything special. And I really do mean that. Like if now he's I, the most special. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm still not <laughs> the most special. <laughs> Always been special. But it, if I could get a, this my marathon time like this close, like at three hours, like I truly believe anybody can do it. It's just how much time is going to take. There's a lot of people that have gotten there a lot faster than I've been able to kind of. Right. Time, so. It's important to note that this has been five years. Although yeah. you've recently become a run influencer this year. Run influencer. Run influencer. Cute. It's, it's, defi- it's definitely picked up you. over the last couple of years. Right. Yeah. But, but you've been putting in the time. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I can attest. Yeah. So say I'm a relatively fit person mm-hmm. with moderate cardio endurance and I strength train. Mm-hmm. Where would you recommend someone in this category start if they want to start marathon training? Meaning what should they be doing for their workouts? Right. Like what would yeah. you prescribe them essentially? Um, I would say starting off with three days a week, um, three days a week of, of easy running. I would say probably for about four weeks, trying to build the mileage up. And then once you get through about four weeks, adding in one day of speed work, probably every 10 days, maybe as quickly as every week, depending on how much exposure you have to to running. Um, And then those runs would need to alternate between something that's going to focus on developing the neuromuscular adaptations of like the actual feeling of getting stronger. So that's going to be more of your like speed work where you're running 400 to thousand meters with 60 seconds to two minutes of rest. And then a come alternating between that and then your threshold work, which your threshold work is more of that like sustained effort. It's not quite as fast but it, it's probably going to be the most uncomfortable form of running that you're doing um and that's going to be like roughly i'd say 80 80 to 85 percent of your max heart rate um and then so alternating each of those every seven to ten days and then all of your other runs should be at that um 75 percent of your max heart rate or lower right if anybody's interested, Blake does create marathon uh, training <laughs> programs yep. for people. So if that felt like a lot. A lot of information. <laughs> yeah. And th- it's hard, too, because everyone's different. Like it right. Yeah. You need a full assessment. But I, I will say that there's a lot of people that shy away from running because they feel like they're going to lose muscle. And I couldn't – I don't know if I could disagree with that more. Like, it, of course, like if you're – not putting as much time into your strength training and you're burning more calories like there's gonna be some impact there but it can like it can be something that you balance well that leads me to my next question which is for those people that really want to maintain their strength yeah. and muscle mass while training for a marathon ahead of the game today what this approach do you suggest blake has anticipated every question coming it's his way yeah. <laughs> wow it's the blake effect yep. tell us how do we keep our muscle mass so first, 
And first, and this really comes back to that same thing I was talking about, about not running too fast. So when we run extremely hard, you're going to build up lactate. And so that's not necessarily going to be an environment that you're going to improve from or get better at. So when we start to bring down the intensity of the volume that you're doing, um, of the running volume that we're doing, then your ability to then go and do strength training is going to be a lot higher. So I, I personally do strength training about four days a week, and then I run six. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so He's like, yeah, and it's been really great for me. <laughs> and and that's, not, that's not where I think everyone should start. I think like where right, you start course. is maybe like <laughs> two and two or, or – you know, whatever that break it up, however yeah. you see. And, so, yeah. and the longer you do it, the more volume that you can kind of take. Um, but you've got to make sure that they aren't working against each other. Meaning if you go and try to do a speed workout, that's supposed to make you faster, but you just did a leg day yesterday, your legs aren't going to be able to get faster. Cause they're going to be extremely tired from whatever you just did. Right. So the approach would be like, how do we stack those? Like, and we spread those out throughout the week. Um, maybe we do that speed work first, and then we do something that's going to be more focused on hypertrophy or strength after that. And then the other big thing is making sure that you're fueling. Like nutrition, you can't concurrent training or training for multiple disciplines or, you know, we hear like the term hybrid training. And I don't necessarily think hybrid training is exclusive to running and strength training like it could be running and bodybuilding it could be yoga and bodybuilding so when we look at like those hybrid type approaches like it's going to be really hard to be successful with one unless our nutrition and our recovery are aligned um so if you do start running more making sure that we have things like carbohydrates available to support those higher intensity efforts um and I would say that this is probably more specifically more specifically towards females. And the reason for that is kind of what, what the research shows is our intra-workout fuel intake is going to be more important to have right for a female versus a male. And the reason for that is the hormonal seesaw is going to be significantly more delicate. And so when you start increasing training volume or you start increasing um, intensity, especially for female clients and female athletes, if our nutrition isn't where it needs to be, it's not uncommon to see intensity and volume go up, but then results or fitness actually start to decrease. And I think that that's like – especially when I'm working with a female client, like the first step is, hey, we're, we're inviting a new training stimulus in. We've got to make sure that we have what we need from a nutritional angle. Um, and obviously everyone has, you know, different nutritional demands or, or different diets that work for them. And this isn't me saying like, you have to do this diet, you have to do um, paleo or keto. Like I, I think all those different things can work. It's just a matter of like figuring out how do we make sure they work for you and we allow the training to be what makes us more fit versus it being this like approach of restriction um, from a diet standpoint. A lot of times for females, they'll introduce, like you said, either higher cardio yeah. or just higher intensity. Yeah. And 
our bodies are also more sensitive to shut systems down yeah sooner yeah. At, like from a survival standpoint and that will greatly inhibit obviously your overall health which naturally will affect the amount that you're able to train mm-hmm. and the amount of effort you're able to exert when training so when it does come to strength training what are the most common mistakes apart from not fueling yourself properly or missteps that people make that prevents them from seeing the goals that they might be striving for? I think it's, you know, one thing, um, one thing I'd think of like, it's the importance of being consistently good versus occasionally great. Um, It's kind of a phrase that has kind of gotten more popular over the last year or so, but what happens a lot of times is people will get into strength training and they think like, this workout, like I need to be extremely sore from it. I need to be pouring sweat. I need to be so tired. And, and that's not necessarily the case. Like we don't need to have to pick you up off the pavement with a spatula for that workout to have been effective. Right. And, um, you know, I see a lot of times where I, we work with someone and they say like, you know, that workout seemed good, but I feel like I'm not that tired or I'm not that sore. And my approach is that's good because now you're going to be able to do something productive tomorrow too it doesn't help us if you go into the gym and you get yourself so sore that you can't work out for four or five days like it's not it's not gonna be productive when it comes to strength training your body's only going to be able to adapt so much from today to tomorrow to next week and so our goal from a strength training perspective is we want to apply just enough stress to trigger that adaptation so that your body responds to it and then we're going to do that consistently And over time, it may not seem like anything changes day over day or nothing changes week over week. But when you start to stack together all of this training, when you get to the end of six months, a year, our fitness level is just at so much of a higher standpoint versus when you do go extremely hard. And we don't have to be bleeding out of our eyeballs for something to be a good workout. Let's just be intentional about what it is that we're showing up for day in and day out and be passionate about executing these workouts the way they're designed and then trusting that over time that that's going to pay off for us. Yeah, I think that's something that we've definitely seen, especially when it comes to programming for Moxie's strength classes. Yeah. Is generally speaking, I think people are very happy with it, but I feel like one of the more common comments we get is like, I wish there was more high intensity cardio. Like, why can't we just do more hit? I didn't sweat that much. And I think it, it reminds me of that saying, like people tend to overestimate what they can do in a week and underestimate what they can do in a year. And I think it happens with our workouts and you see it happen. People are like, well, I didn't walk out of there pouring sweat. Like that didn't feel super high intensity. But when you see the way people's fitness and bodies change over the span of a consistent year it's of crazy. exercising yeah. in that manner, in a really strategic way, it's absolutely incredible. And I think more and more people are starting to be aware of that. And I, th- especially I feel like for women, the focus has been on high intensity cardio for so long yeah. and right. slowly, but surely that's starting to shift towards strength training and people are seeing the value in it, but it can be hard because people do want immediate results yeah. and they want more. I think sometimes they focus more on how they feel in the moment versus how they're going to feel over time. And 
that can be difficult, especially for people that are used to strength training or high intensity training that then go to train for a marathon when you're trying to control your heart rate and you're used to pushing yourself to the edge every single workout. That's a completely counterintuitive way to look at your training. So it can be hard to make that shift. And, and there's definitely a time to, um, there's definitely a time to go hard like that. And yeah, I like to think of, you know, B plus workouts are better than A plus workouts. And if we look at an A plus workout is what you can do, a B plus is what you probably should do. And just because of the ramifications or the way we respond after those, like full out, all out efforts, um, your body's trying to make you feel better again. It's not necessarily trying to improve. Uh, and, and there's a time and a place for high intensity interval training for sure. Like it's not something that we want to completely neglect, but the frequency at which we need to do it in that manner, unless that's specifically what you're training for, like this, this obviously if you're training for the CrossFit games, like this is going to be, that's going to be a significantly more important part of your training regimen than if you're training for a marathon. Um, but for the most part, like, most workouts should feel challenging but manageable you shouldn't feel like this crazy urge to stop i I think i always say this about marathon running it's it's equally it's definitely a test of your grit your perseverance your overall like desire to push through something like it's definitely a test of that but it's equally a test of patience and if most people, the reason they're going too hard in a workout isn't because they have this crazy amount of mental toughness. It's because they're impatient. And they've got to be able to take a step back and realize, like, hey, this is going to take some time, and i got to quit trying to rush it so much. Yeah, that's definitely a tough one for a lot of people. Right. We've talked a little bit about the things that prevent people from reaching their goals or prevent them from establishing a consistent routine. And kind of what those barriers look like. But in your experience as a personal trainer, as a group fitness coach, as a studio owner, what do you feel like are the factors or components that aid people in maintaining these? And this can be having a specific goal, being in a competition, having a coach. What do you feel like is the most powerful? One's definitely having a plan. Like if you set out to do something, and I think of like a marathon or a half marathon or high rocks or whatever it is. And you're just kind of going about it willy nilly. Like, don't be surprised when it doesn't go very well. Like, you have to have a plan. And your options for that are one, you can either study, research, learn how to put together that plan yourself. Option two would be you could hire a coach. That's the one I would recommend. Or option three is, you give it your best shot, see how it goes, and then you kind of go back to the drawing board from there. Um, but you have to have a plan. And then I think after that, it's just going to be that support system. Uh, that's definitely something that that helps me a lot. And kind of speaking about like Run Club and having other people that I train with that I know are going to bring their best version of themselves every day challenges me to do the same. Um, like when I think of like my marathon training partner, when I have a speed workout, I know what he's going to bring. And I know that he's going to bring everything he's got. So I, I don't have the option of having a bad day. Uh, and that kind of holds you accountable to it. And same thing with high rocks, like working with some of the guys that we have at the studio and seeing that the work they're putting in and to see them not just training at a high level, but training at a high level, like recovering at a high level, 
um, eating at a high level, like doing all these things. Like it's not this crazy competitive, oh, I want to beat them. So I'm going to do this, but it's kind of like, I don't know. It's almost like, uh, like contagious. And like when you're around it, like you just want to be a part of that. And then by being a part of that, you almost start to add more value into it. So it kind of like, it helps them too. So having that support system, having a plan, um, and then overall, just like not, um, not giving up on it too quickly. Like that, that's the biggest thing is most people just don't stick to stuff long enough to, for it to actually work out for them. Yeah. Well, I know that you've definitely cultivated a really strong support system in a lot of different avenues of your life. And we end every single one of these interviews the same way. So okay. Blake, what do you look for in a friend? The biggest thing I look for is going to be someone that's going to be there through like good times and bad. Um, there's a lot of people out there that'll be a friend when it works out for them. And I, I really, um, I'm really lucky and I'm really grateful to have people like you guys like um, that. I don't really have a doubt. Like if everything in my life was to get turned upside down, my true friends are the people that would still be there. And, and that's something I challenge myself with too, is like to still show up to people in those moments. Um, and I would almost say to specifically make sure to show up to those people in those moments. So that's probably the biggest thing I look for. Love that's that. amazing. Thank you so much for coming on of today. Course. We really appreciate Thank you guys. It. It's been fun. You're a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> you guys can find Blake on Instagram, uh, Moxie Blake. I kind of miss Blake Misfit. Blake Misfit, yeah. I really liked that. It's okay. You I don't know. I, I, looking back, the <laughs> craziest fine. part is I, I never even remember actually making that Instagram handle. Blake Misfit? That's crazy. Well, it was like my last name. It's because Robert had Harper Fit. Right. Mm. And so I was like, Mistretta is like kind of long. Right. And so it's I think cool. I just like shortened it and then. But it's like, so cute and catchy. Yeah. You should. That was a pure accident if it was catchy. Really? Yeah. That wasn't intentional? No, I was like, because like you're a misfit. My thought was like, Blake, you're not at all a misfit. <laughs> my, my thought was like Blake Mistretta Fitness, but like take off the Retta. Right. Yeah. Okay. I thought <laughs> you were. I thought you were being fitness. funny, or like I thought no, you were seizing no. an opportunity there. I don't That's think funny. so. Is yeah. that the name of your your corp, Misfit? No. No, Missed my, opportunity. My full name. Gosh, darn it. Full name. It's okay. Well, you can find about Moxie Blake. Um, you can go to him for any marathon or half or 10K training. Mm -hmm. yeah. You can catch him at Moxie on Monday, Wednesday nights and every other Saturday. And just follow him for a good time, really. He'll look <laughs> at all of his runs and just think. Watch his reels and be like, wow, I want to <laughs> be Blake when I grow up. Yeah. It's so hard to make reels. It's, You're it's telling a us. challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge. It really is. If yeah. you just keep at it, though, don't quit too early. Don't right. quit too early. Yeah, yeah. same. I'm sure. Same Round rules. Same with rules. People that'll support you. <laughs> the support in your real journey. Yeah, I believe it. All right. Thanks, All right. Blake. Thanks, All right, Blake. Cool. Thank you.